0: This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Faye Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go first offense.
1: All the mix. Hey!
0: Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Yeah, Yeah, it's Monday edition of Sports Bar Radio. I am Rob Faye, and man, I will tell you what, this guy just stumped me. You know, we always talk before we come on air, and I was talking with Rob Simpson of Vancouver Hockey Now about a question that I didn't know, didn't have a clue about. Robert, first and foremost, good afternoon. What is that rule you were telling me about just before we came on air?
1: Yeah, back when I started covering hockey a long time ago, I always kind of thought to myself, all right, you should always be up on your current events. You should always know every head coach is in the league. Every general manager is in the league and both the starting and the backup goaltender. Now, the first two should be easy because they don't change that often. The goalies obviously can change you know, periodically. And then also know all your Stanley Cup champions dating back to 1960. The weird thing about it is right now in the coaching department, it is really the old guard is on its way out, sort of, kind of. And there's a lot of just, man, it's in flux. And I threw a couple teams at you and it's like, holy crap, who's the guy coaching them right now? Well, you threw me Winnipeg. And
0: right away, I drew a blank. I had the Homer Simpson staring into space, and that's okay. (laughs) But the Blackhawks, Columbus, I mean, there's been a bunch of teams that have had changes over the last couple of months. And with COVID and postponements and this and that and everything going left and right, you can forget some
1: key moves and key names over the last couple of months. Well, yeah, and the reason I, I kind of started thinking about it again is because I actually kind of fooled myself a few days ago. I was like, wait a minute, because there are four interims, officially or unofficially, they have asterisks. And that's Derek King in Chicago, Andrew Burnett in Florida, of course, because you know Joel Quenville got ousted. He can get recommissioned or brought back in after applying again. He was excommunicated, so to speak. Mike Yo in Philadelphia and interim is apparently Dave Lowry with the Winnipeg Jets. So that's highly unusual to have four interims at the same time. And then there's just a lot of younger or newer kind of names around the league.
0: Here you are, you're a guy, you got the interim tag and you're like, God, that's the last thing I want. I want to make this my full-time gig. And then you've got postponements, the world's on its side. I would imagine that this has got to be one of the toughest times ever to be a first-year coach.
1: Yeah, the COVID challenges. And maybe that's why it is this way. Maybe, that, maybe that's factoring into this, that, that teams don't want to make commitment because it is such a mess or they're having a hard time finding people because generally you don't have four interim. Like guys usually go into, like Bruce Boudreau, when he got fired in Washington, he got hired a day or two later in Anaheim as their full-time guy and ended up working basically through five seasons there and then ended up going through four plus or four seasons in Minnesota. Usually it's bang, bang, and a guy comes in. You may have one interim, but four is kind of nuts. And then Dominic Deschamps is is still going in Montreal. You got Andre Tourigny in in Arizona. No, I don't know really anything about him. Never inter- have never interviewed him. Never crossed paths with him, which is unusual because I think I've interviewed every coach in the NHL at one point five times. You know, then there's some old timers. Love that term.
0: But, you know, it's bad when the old timers aren't old by your timers. standard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Lindy Ruff's kind of up there. Barry Trotz has been around.
0: Bruce Boudreaux. There's been a few.
1: John Cooper's the longest tenured guy. He just
0: beat me to it. I was just going to bring that up.
1: 2013, and he's not an old guy at all. Well, he's doing quite well,
0: and we got ties to him here in British Columbia, so all is well. Uh, I want to get into some of the stuff that you wrote on at Vancouver Hockey now over the last couple of days. You've been a busy bee, and for a Vancouver Canuck fan... I think after that 8-0-1 start, life was so very good. We knew that that was not going to be sustainable. But then all of a sudden, a couple of losses in a row, and everybody was getting a little bit nervous. And the storyline started to come back about Elias Pedersen, and what are we going to do here, and just the true value of J.T. Miller and Thatcher. So let's start with those two and kind of branch out. Thatcher Demko, obviously, I wouldn't call this his coming out party. But now I think we can establish him as bonafide one of the, what, top five, top ten goalies in the NHL. Where would you put a guy like Thatcher Demko? Because in Vancouver, we do nothing but think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I think now people outside of Vancouver and British Columbia are starting to see what we see.
1: Well, for sure. and he, I mean, he's named to the all-star team in the Pacific Division. So him and John Gibson, who they are often... If if uh, Thatcher's compared to anyone in particular, it usually is John Gibson. They say he's John Gibson esque. Uh, both through the uh, national team development program, both American goalies, similar kind of, as I put it, iced running through the veins type guys. They're they're real stable mentally, and they they seem aloof, but they're actually just extremely focused and and uh, they are a lot alike. But yeah, he gets an All Star nod. Then he goes through the COVID delays, the holiday delays, the postponements, and he didn't seem to be himself completely coming out of that at the start of this road trip, but he worked into it. And it was almost maybe a blessing in disguise that Yaroslav Halak picks up the uh, the COVID protocols because Thatcher Demko was fully Thatcher Demko again in the Sunday game against the Washington Capitals. It did not take the young man very long to uh, work out the cobwebs, so to speak. So good for him. J.T. Miller is a guy that
0: we've talked about a couple of different times. And I I remember this conversation with you, I think it was like a month or so ago. And we were talking about the high tides and low tides of J.T. Miller. When things are good, he's the best guy to be around. Everybody loves him. He's the leader. The fans love him. But when things are bad, as we saw in a couple of different stops over his NHL career, he's a pretty tough guy to be around. That kind of high tide, low tide mentality, is it good for this young team? Is it bad for this young team? Or is he, like Thatcher, working through his problems and starting to elevate his game?
1: Yeah, I mean, JT's matured quite a bit since he was a New York Ranger. There's no question about that. Um I love the hot headedness. I love the fact that he takes it more seriously than everybody else. At least that's one way to interpret it. Um, I think those highs and low, he can still be a little pissy, but I think those highs and lows are not nearly as extreme as what they maybe once were. Um, And here's a person that just went through a little three game quiet streak to start the road trip. But as Bruce Boudreaux was quick to point out, you know, When you've got a Jordan stall in your face all night long, and it and you aren't you didn't generate a shot in the game, there's a reason for it. When you when you're a point a game player and you're leading your team in scoring, there's a reason why guys will send their shutdown line out after you. So it's not like oh it's going to be another walk in the park. I'm a point a game guy. No, you're going to see the best defenders each and every night. There's a good chance of that, Uh, especially if the opponent doesn't feel that your team is that deep offensively. they can focus maybe on your top six or in certain cases on your top three. So he was seeing the worst of it in terms of you know, trying to go through the tough sledding and went three games without a point. Then he picks up a goal and assist against the Washington capitals. So you know i'm I'm not too worried about J.t. Miller. I think he's uh, he's grown into who he is, and the fact that he still takes it so seriously and is so fired up, I think, is a good thing. And um, I don't know, looking forward to seeing how this season continues. He's a bargain, by the way. Yes. He's got another season at five and a half. People saying, move JT Miller. Are you nuts? Like, if, if, if there's going to be problems with contract negotiations or we're not sure what he wants or where he's headed or where the team's headed come summer, Okay. You know, you can maybe start thinking about all the different possibilities, but right now, pff, kidding me? Right now, this guy's a cheapo. This is this is you're you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. Well, the guy who all of a
0: sudden got a lot of bucks, seven plus, Elias Pedersen. And the problem with PD is he's one of those guys that you want to love. You know, he's got the skill set. You know, he's an elite player. And then all of a sudden, he stubs his toe coming out of the gates again. Yeah. I know that he missed training camp because he's holding out for the quan to use a rod tidwellism, but the reality is, is it hasn't been a good season. The other night, two goals, and the world comes flooding back to him right back to his feet. Is this going to be a love-hate relationship? Because now we look at not just the player, we look at the price tag as well.
1: Uh, it could be, but I think people are pretty flexible with allowing him to try to play it out. I, I just I brought him up in my piece, a little commentary today, in fact, as in Monday, um, just about the conversations about his struggles. And I understand it is what it is in terms of dealing with the media, but uh, he's been asked the same question. Like I, I almost see him pop up on a media availability. I'm like, oh God, really? Do we have to talk to, I, I, I don't really want to sit there and watch it anymore. Because after the 30th time of someone asking him the same question about struggles, he I swear he was like talking to himself at one point yesterday. <laughs> he was so disturbed to hear the question. He's like, Oh God, really? He has answered it 30 times. He's answered it the same with the same exact answer because how it's like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result, asking the same question 30 times about his struggles. He's going to tell you the same thing. He's, he's working hard. He's taking shots after practice. He's going to try to come out of, he's a good player. His coach says the same thing. I mean, holy Mack roll. Let it, let it flow here. I mean, he's a, he's a half point game guy. He has struggled. So Maybe this is the next bust out. Like he's had a, he's shown signs a few times, then drifted back. Well, here he is again. Let's see if he drifts back or if he keeps going. Either way, let's not ask him in four days about how he's going to handle his struggles.
0: You've been in a lot of locker rooms over the years. When trade talks arise, I know that the players kind of keep to themselves. They don't usually communicate that stuff. But I mean, we're thinking there's families, there's friends. There's a lot that goes into trade talks. Last year it was Brock Besser. Now we're seeing a couple of names get kicked around. This year as to potential, well, if we were ever, you know, Jim Rutherford was going to move on the fly. From a player's perspective and a locker room perspective, how
1: does that external noise affect them? Or does it? It can affect them. And I'm actually getting a piece together right now talking to player agents, and I've already got some feedback. I won't mention their names yet, but mm-hmm. um they they essentially say try not to pay attention to it. But obviously if you know, GMs are talking. If that word gets out, then it obviously can affect you and your family. Cause then you start to be concerned about, uh, Oh, you know, what's my future and where am I headed? Unless of course you want to leave, then you're kind of excited to hear it, but I don't, that's not the case right now. Um, the three that I wrote about were Besser cause as you mentioned him last year, he also came up early this year under Benning with some desperation, but you can discord just dis, kind of throw that out. Um, you bring him up though, because as we've mentioned before, the big uh, qualifying offer, what are they going to do? Do they want to spend that money this next summer? Uh, JT Miller's name came up, which I find absurd. Uh, Yaroslav Halak's name up came up. We talked about that, I think a week or two ago, uh, because he has some bonus coming and but they have some time and some flexibility to work with there. Um, with Halak, and if the team is a playoff team, I keep him around because he's he'd be worth it. Uh, It it does affect guys. There's no question about it. Brock Besser was affected. He was affected this year early on when when GMs were talking a little bit. And part of that was, again, Benning. So no question about it. But I think right now, especially considering Jim Rutherford has not picked picked his general manager yet, he's not going to be pulling any triggers. I would be blown to pieces if this dude starts pulling triggers. Pre-GM in the middle of January – when his new coach is 13 games into the run and he's about whatever, 10 games into it.
0: You know, it's funny is you talk about the search for a general manager and sometimes there's organizations that'll be real quick to pull the trigger. Yep. I feel like they have a guy in mind and the guy might be under contract because there's been names kicked around. Uh, we've heard of Allman. We've heard of, you know, McFarland really early on. And, you know, every once in a while you'll get something new in the spin cycle. Do you, does it strike me? And, or pardon me, let me rephrase that. Does it strike you as this organization has their target on someone's back right now?
1: Uh, potentially Jim Rutherford's because of COVID and because of the mess, he spent a lot of time back east, like he's in Carolina most of the time, so he's not even here. I think what he's doing is he's taking care of that interview process from there, and then there will be kind of they'll step into the in person stuff, however, that works. And then obviously, uh, I, I believe, owner, well, I don't know, I don't know if. Ownership in this case is more of a sign-off situation or if they're actively involved, I think probably with Jim Rutherford, it's more of like, okay, we'll go through this whole thing. I'll make a decision as the president, and then you can, we'll have a chit-chat and you can sign off on the decision. Um, Alvin's the name I've heard the most, and I'm looking forward to following up on that here in short order as well, but that's that's the one name I've heard more than any other. I don't know if it's a done deal yet, though. I think the only name that
0: came up so far where I kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit was Sean Burke
1: yeah and interesting
0: not not necessarily because of the incident from back in the late 90s which I know would ruffle a few feathers in the community but I think just when you're thinking of forward thinking progressive I know that Sean Burke's got tenure but I think fans in Vancouver after seven plus years of very robotic, Very, don't worry, I got this, Jim Benning. They're looking for something younger, fresher, more progressive, which doesn't necessarily scream Sean Burke.
1: Although uh, he's a very, well, it's tough to say what he would be like in the executive suite, but I've always enjoyed talking to the guy, and I've always found him to be an excellent communicator and an open communicator, a guy that can you know let things fly in a conversation and have an honest conversation, an open, upbeat conversation. That's just my own personal one-on-one experience with him. So, how that translates to running a show, so to speak, I'm not sure. But he he that intrigues me. I mean, Brad Treleving in Calgary would have something to say on that because they worked together for a long time in Arizona and he brought them along a bit. So I, I don't I don't
0: have a problem with Sean Burke. Well, no, I'm not saying that Sean Burke, the person, is of issue. I think right now, Vancouver, after everything they've gone through for the past several years and, you know, Jim's got the scouting, and Jim's got the connections, and Jim, Jim, Jim. But it was one thing that was openly discussed is that he wasn't huge on his analytic department. Like he wasn't a big guy that wanted pie charts and grids. He was the old eye test guy. Yeah. And I just think that the fan base now is looking for something a little more new age.
1: Well, Jim Rutherford might be trying to diversify that because he's talked about having a GM and as many as three assistants. So I think it's almost like you have a GM and then you have a scouting specialist, and that could be that sounds like Derek Clancy, and then you'd have kind of the more the business-oriented type guy. Guy would be McFarlane. He's more well-rounded than uh, than Clancy in that regard, um, and then you'd have an analytics guy, but. Um,
0: you know, in different sports are already doing that. Like in baseball now, you have multiple assistant general managers. Like it used to be just the, you know, the the Brian Burke and the Dave notice and that was it. And they had all the keys to the candy store. But I think in this day and age, when you got that much money out there on the table from Francesco, you want to make sure if it takes five guys as opposed to two to get it done, then you gotta do it, right? I could be yeah. wrong. I
1: don't know. Um it's fine to have all your bases covered. And as Bruce Boudreaux pointed out, he uses the analytics in certain situations, but 90, and this is the case with me, 90 to 95% of the time, all it does is reaffirm what you've already seen and seeing it with your eyes. Because it, it usually for hockey people, it does pass the eye test. It's pretty clear. And 90 to 95% of the time, it just reaffirms what you've seen. And it's obviously quicker to see it than it is to, go through crunch numbers I mean nowadays it's relatively quick between the two but trust your eyeballs in most cases and then have the analytics back it up which is not a bad idea Um, and then you know handle your scouting and make sure you got the damn salary cap
0: going somebody said to me what was it Saturday night I was in New West the city that just gave up and my friend said to me he goes (laughs) how was Vegas so good and Seattle so bad in their inaugural seasons. And I said, well, you're going to have to order another beer because this could take a while. But if you were to (laughs) dumb it down to its lowest common denominator, why is Seattle as bad as Vegas was good in their first season?
1: Well, if you mean breaking down the the trades and the picks, I mean, you could do that all day long. If you you just want to talk about basic reasons, it's just they're not very talent. The base is not as deep. They're not as deep of a hockey club. I mean, William Carlson burst onto the scene. Jonathan Marcheseau burst onto the scene. Alex Tuck burst onto the scene. Flower had a tremendous year between the pipes. I mean, they just had some great hockey being played by some very good players and then some, some surprisingly good players that weren't getting ice time with the teams that they had previously played for. Where the Seattle Kraken do not obviously have that scoring depth. And, uh, you know, their goaltender who was supposed to be... a Grubauer is supposed to, I, I loved the the pick. I thought that was tremendous, but, you know, he's not seeing the support that uh, he had probably been used to seeing previously. There's no question about that. I mean, Jordan Eberle their leading scorer with 24 points and he's a minus 17. Yeah. Um, the name, the list of names, people were thinking Yanni Gord was going to have an amazing bust out season. And actually From a point per game ratio, he is actually their best guy. I think he's 20 points and he's played less than 30 games because he was out of the lineup early on. But you go through their lineup, you're not blown away. No question about that.
0: Well, the one thing that I'll say, because you're spot on, the one thing that I'll add is I think NHL teams knew what was coming this time and protected differently. Because the first time I just remember thinking, oh, my God that Vegas team right now is going to be able to compete in that division. Like it wasn't like a, you know, a San Jose shark three to five year plan. I was like, that team's as good as like the bottom half of any team in that division as we stand. So uh, it's interesting because we keep waiting for that battle between Seattle and Vancouver and that rivalry that everybody had been yearning for. And I haven't felt any of it. And obviously that has to do with COVID that has to do with willingness to travel or the ability part of me to travel and then just the fact that they're not that good. I mean, it's it's too bad because I saw geographical opportunity, but nothing's come of it so far.
1: Well, it's all right though. I mean, you gotta be a little bit patient. I mean, it'll it'll come. It's just like I've always yearned for and thought it would be great for hockey if if we got a phenomenal Tampa Bay, Florida playoff series. Wouldn't it be great for the sport of hockey in a gigantic non-traditional market where it's hardly a blip? And and Florida Panthers games look like Greensboro Generals games in terms of the fans on hand when, when there is no COVID. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be stupendous if you got a, a really wicked Tampa Bay-Florida series? And look how long that's taken. So with that in mind, you have to be a little bit patient. You got to wait for Seattle to get good. When you're in that building, it's packed and it's obvious it's an inaugural season. So we're in the honeymoon period, but when they play the Canucks, there's, it's pretty, it's an entertaining little setup, but you're right. It could be a lot more, but with a little bit of patience, it will be.
0: I think I just, I've always thought Vancouver's like the kid at the dance without a date. You know, like, oh, we're, you know, we got a rivalry with Calgary. No, they're with Edmonton. Oh, we got a rivalry with Boston. Uh, Boston's in bed before you even start. Like, I I feel like Vancouver's (laughs) constantly looking for that dance partner. And then one is finally dropped, hypothetically, right in our lap. And COVID has just been able to kind of snuff it down so far. But uh, yeah, maybe a little patience is key.
1: See, yeah, you're just one of those kids, Rob. You're just one of those kids. I I was one of those kids. Instant gratification. (laughs) I want it now, now, now. I can't wait for it, Well, you're going to have to wait just a wee bit.
0: I usually got my instant gratification from the Sears catalog, and you have to be old <laughs> enough to understand where I'm going with that. But oh, anything.
1: God. <laughs> National Geographic? <laughs>
0: that, that was desperate <laughs> times. Oh, <God.
1: laughs> All right. We'll leave it on that one.
0: Thank you for everything today, Rob Simpson. Uh, what do you got coming up in Vancouver Hockey now? Not to put you on the clock, but what can we look forward to in the next couple of days?
1: Well, we're going to talk to agents. We're going to talk to general managers. We're going to talk to players. And we're going to write about uh, this wild, wonderful, wacky world of the Vancouver Canucks as it continues to unfold as they come home. Hey, schedule doesn't get any older when they get older. doesn't get any easier when they get here. Uh, Florida will be rolling in. St. Louis Blues rolling in. Edmonton Oilers are around the corner. It's going to be fun. And uh, we'll just continue to bring uh, insightful observations from decades of staring at ice
0: we're gonna go our separate ways in a couple of seconds and all i'm gonna remember is national geographic <laughs> burned into my head forever yeah
1: that that's a bit of a reach actually that was and,
0: and, but you know what the guru he's coming out of his protocol this week so it's a big deal that we finally get the big guy back
1: oh my gosh i feel bad he's been really uh, got one of those things working on the voice and all that yeah, so i know the condition. Yeah, but chris he Perry, tweets he's the man. like
0: he's 12 years old i still have to tell him this he uses all the slang terms because he's got teenage kids right so he talks like his kids and i'm like dude we got to stop doing that i do the same thing we're in our late 40s early 50s we can't say what's cracking anymore like we have to like kind of up, sure we'll get there one day. Very rob mature. simpson thank you for this as always
1: cheers roberto thank you very much and we'll talk to you soon You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru,
0: investment information for millennials and madmen.